everyone! Welcome to the ninth episode of Ukraine War Uncovered, podcast about the war in Ukraine. Today is 503rd day of the Russian full-scale invasion of Ukraine. My name is Pavlo, my colleague is Anna. We are Ukrainians and co-hosts of this podcast. In this podcast, we will uncover facts and stories about the war in Ukraine, some of which you may not hear from the mainstream media. We will provide you with key weekly updates about the war based on information from the ground, connect with eyewitnesses and experts directly from Ukraine, and share stories of wartime life inside Ukraine and stories of temporary displaced people. We will also uncover Ukraine, its culture, language and history for you. In this episode we will unpack an ultra-complex question what the reconstruction of Ukraine is like. Recently, a few attempts to provide an answer to that question were made in London, where Ukraine Recovery Conference was held in late June 2023. It was attended by the UK PM Rishi Sunak, President of the European Commission Ursula von der Leyen, as well as US State Secretary Antony Blinken. Our editor Roman was able to attend the conference and happily shared a few non-public insights with our dear audience. Here we go. The issue of reconstruction is so huge that one doesn't know where to even begin, when to start rebuilding cities, is it safe to invest in Ukraine, and most importantly, how much Ukraine needs and how will provide the finance. Long story short, there have many practical and precise ideas, suggestions more than in Lugano last year. The key message of the conference is that Ukrainian partners will not reduce support and begin to understand its shape and form much more. To start the long story, we will point out that the World Bank evaluated the cost of the recovery in $411 billion, whereas at the conference the number of $349 billion was the most frequently announced. Both calculations do not factor the damage created by the Kahoka Dam destruction that we covered in our previous episodes. This year, the term recovery covered economic recovery, unlike the last year in Lugano, where Ukrainian politicians were talking mostly about short-term recovery of housing and infrastructure. According to Sergei Marchenko, quoted by Forbes, the key element of economic recovery would be the production of goods and services in Ukraine. He explains it by saying that Ukrainians will not come back to Ukraine if there are no jobs for them despite having a new home. Ukrainian politicians suggested replacing goods from Russia and China by the respective equivalents from Ukraine. As reported by Forbes Ukraine, the government of Ukraine also got two clear commitments out of the conference. European Union agreed to cover 45% of all state expenses of Ukraine until 2027, roughly 40 billion euro, as was declared by Ursula von der Leyen in London. The European Union's commitments may give a good nudge to the US to mirror the effort and provide similar financial commitments. UK announced a significant support package to Ukraine that will include credit guarantees for the World Bank for 3 billion US dollars as well as $300 million of reciprocal financial support. Another key issue was that the recovery will be also done via the private sector. Rishi Sunak announced the program of Ukraine Business Compact, a program that will match UK and Ukrainian businesses to invest and do business together. Following a statement made by Forbes, around 400 businesses with capitalization of 4.9 trillion US dollars from 38 countries have already joined the initiative. 
From this stems another key issue, insurance of investments. Investors are not keen to send their money to high-risk country. The representatives of Germany, France and Japan said that they are developing mechanisms that will provide investors with reliable insurance to cover war-related risks. Private insurance companies like MIGA and DFC also agreed to contribute to this idea. The key message here is that money flowing into Ukraine are investments, but not donations, and this has to be protected. BlackRock and JP Morgan pushed further their idea of creating a fund of funds for Ukraine and manage its free to stimulate Ukrainian economy. Additional key project that was demonstrated by the Ukrainian government was a digital platform called Dream. The system will ensure control over all stages of implementation of the projects and will make the audit of the results more transparent and more corruption resistant. Nevertheless, foreign investors keep coming back to the importance of reforms in the area of the rule of law. If the efficiency and independence of Ukrainian courts and prosecutors is not guaranteed, it will not be safe to invest via DIA platform. Last but not least is the use of Russian assets to pay for the rebuilding of Ukraine as the total amount of money needed. 411 US billion dollars, according to the World Bank, will not be covered by the West. Crucially, Canada has developed legislation that will allow it to freeze, confiscate and transfer Russian assets to Ukraine. Despite this, the largest amount of the assets is in the EU, which is far away from its counterparts across the Atlantic. The key message was announced publicly in London by the President of the EU Commission. Russian assets will be used to rebuild Ukraine. It is a conceptual shift that has given hope to many investors and the Ukrainian government. As mentioned, our editor Roman attended the Ukraine Recovery Conference in London. Roman, could you please share with our listeners your insights and impressions from the conference? So, the couple of key insights that I got from the conference were probably firstly that invites and the organization of the conference was quite centered around the office of the president of Ukraine. So many Ukrainian large businesses, politicians and other key stakeholders were not able to attend because they were not able to obtain the invitation or permission from the office of the president of Ukraine and people were not happy about it as well. From the UK side, the problem was quite similar in the situation that um, large UK businesses were not represented as well. Nevertheless, Ukrainian politicians delivered quite a coherent and uh, structured message this year. Unlike in Lugano, when last year in Switzerland, it was quite massive those organized. This time it was clearly delivered to investors and foreign governments that Ukraine developed a strategy and brought one single mission to London. Also, the second insight would be that um, the role of private equity and private capital will be significant. So companies and private investors see massive opportunities here, also alongside with the massive risks. Nevertheless, the UK government, Japan, Germany are able to provide some government-backed insurance for such investments. Nevertheless, um, everyone will still expect Ukraine to show the highest standards of um, fighting against corruption, ensuring rule of law and providing massive transparency. Nobody will tolerate these issues uh, in case they provide money. 
To conclude, Ukraine has been trusted in many ways by foreign governments and has created several unique opportunities for investors. Now it's time for the Ukrainian government to do their homework and prove that they worth Western money and trust. Now moving on to the updates from the front lines. 4th July 2023. As reported by the Ukrainian Ministry of Defense, in the Berdyansk direction, an advance of up to 2 kilometers into the enemy's position is observed. July 5th, the armed forces of Ukraine have partial success in Klishchivka region, the general staff reports. There is consolidation of the achieved boundaries, the enemy is putting up strong resistance, heavy fighting is going on, which is confirmed as well as by deep state map. 10th July, since the start of the offensive, Ukrainian troops have liberated 169 square kilometers in the south, the general staff reported, in direction of Bakhmut, 24 square kilometers. The most recent maps from the Institute for the Study of War confirm mentioned fighting and advances from along the front lines, and also show an increasing number of Russian field fortifications. To elaborate more, during these months of the full-scale war, Russian forces were able to fortify their positions on occupied territories, which explains why the liberation of Ukrainian territories during the current Ukrainian counteroffensive moving at a slower pace than the last year's one in the Kharkiv region. Now let's move to weekly news update. On the 4th of July, the UK government prohibited using the funds from the sale of Chelsea Football Club beyond the geographical borders of Ukraine, as reported by The Times. The fund that manages the funds disagrees, and they believe that they can use funds for the help of refugees in other countries. Ukrainian intelligence reported that Russians planted explosive devices on the roof of the third and fourth block of Zaporizhka nuclear power plant, Ukrainian Ministry of Health immediately issued the guide of what to do in case of the radiation dissemination. Zelensky addressed the nation in the evening and turned to the world leaders to monitor the situation. On the 5th of July, Financial Times issued an article that relies on internal confidential sources that says that Xi Jinping personally warned Putin against the use of the nuclear weapons in Ukraine. Unsurprisingly, Kremlin denies this conversation. Top Ukrainian generals say the counteroffensive is going to, to plan as losses mount. Ukrainian armed forces have yet to reach their full potential, but two top generals say the counteroffensive is going to plan, despite anxiety among some Western analysts that Ukraine is not making enough progress. So far, things are developing according to plans that were drawn up and approved, General Alexander Sirsky, commander of the Ukrainian Ground Forces, said in the interview with ABC News. Ukrainian national football team under 21 for the first time reached the semi-finals of Euro. Unfortunately, Ukraine lost 1-5 against Spain, that eventually lost to England in the final. On the 6th of July, on this day, the largest missile attack of Lviv for the whole war has occurred. Ukrainian air forces shut down 7 out of 10 caliber missiles. Other three hit the residential blocks of flats. 10 people died. 42 were injured. The youngest person who died was a 21-year-old girl. The oldest, a 95-year-old woman. 
Also, 30 buildings, 250 flats and 10 campuses were damaged. The chief of Ukrainian intelligence, Budanov, reported that Ukrainian intelligence has implemented a set of measures, public and secret, to decrease the risk of explosion of the Parisian NPP. He said that the risk is being reduced. MOD presented a new uniform for females in the Ukrainian army tailored to the needs of women. So the government making progress. More on this you can listen to in our previous episode on diversity. Ukraine exchanged 45 soldiers and two civilians from the captivity in Russia. Ukraine also returned two children who kidnapped six-year-old Renat and ten-year-old Varvara. 7th July, the International Kiev Institute of Sociology issued a new study that showed that 70% of Ukrainians consider themselves happy despite the war. National Bank of Ukraine reported that international reserves grew to the almost $39 billion according to the results of June, which is the highest indicator in the entire history of Ukrainian independence. According to Reuters, the United States announced that it will send Ukraine cluster munition, which is prohibited by more than 100 countries under respective international treaty. US, Ukraine and Russia are not part of this treaty. The announced support is part of $800 million security package, a move Ukraine said would have an extraordinary psycho-emotional impact on Russian forces. Joe Biden said, but the main thing is they either have the weapons to stop the Russian now, keep them from stopping the Ukrainian offensive through these areas, or they don't. And I think they need them. On the 8th of July, Zelensky, as a part of his tour, visited Turkey, where met with Erdogan, who publicly declared that Ukraine belongs to NATO. Zelensky also met ecumenical patriarch Bartholomew, who prayed for the victims of the war with Russia at the patriarchal St. George Cathedral in Finir. The commanders who defended Azovstal returned from Turkey to Ukraine. Denis Prokopenko, Sviatoslav Palomar, Sergei Volinsky, Alek Khomenko, Denis Schlega will be with their relatives, Zelensky said. On the 9th of July, Alexin Sov recorded a video from the front and reported that he received a slight concussion. Alek is a Ukrainian filmmaker, writer and activist from Crimea. Following the Russian annexation of Crimea, he was arrested in Crimea in May 2014 and sentenced to 20 years imprisonment by a Russian court. In September 2019, he was released in a prisoner swap between Russia and Ukraine. Now he fights at the front lines. It was also reported that in June, Ukraine produced more artillery shells with its own capacity than for the entire past year. This was announced by Alexander Commission, Minister of Strategic Industries. On the 10th of July, Russians hit the humanitarian aid station in Arikhiv, Zaporizhia region, killing four civilians and injuring 11. International Kyiv Institute of Sociology issued a new study that shows that 89% of Ukrainians are for Ukraine joining NATO. Alexander Commission, the Minister of Strategic Industry, said that the construction of the Bayraktar drone factory has begun in Ukraine. We are talking about production on the territory of Ukraine. This is the same large Bayraktar plant which was negotiated several years ago. They began to build the plant on the ground, not on memorandums. 
We have moved to real steps, the minister said. Now let's move to the week in the history of Ukraine. 7 July 1989, the first newspaper in the Crimean Tatar language, Kirim, Crimea in Tatar language, was printed in Simferopol, Crimea, Ukraine. It was an important day as Soviets were banning all non-Russian newspapers with particular oppression of the languages of national minorities of the USSR. Even in 1989, the Kirim newspaper was called Druzhba, Friendship, a Soviet name and it was a part of the large Soviet newspaper called Crimean Truth that was totally controlled by Soviets. Before the annexation of the Crimea Peninsula by Russia, in 2014, Kirim was issued twice a week. Now, only 3,600 items have been printed since 2014 on a subscription-only basis. Now the newspaper struggles financially despite the support of local Crimean Tatar families who keep buying it. To put things in a context, Roskomnadzor, Russian media regulator, fines Kirim on a regular basis because the editors do not print Russian copies of Kirim or mention Majlis, a legit center of Crimean Tatars in Crimea, which is declared as extremist by Russian authorities. To give you even more context of this situation and why publication of Kirim has significant cultural and historic meaning for Crimean Tatars and Ukraine in general, Crimean Tatars are indigenous population of the Crimean Peninsula. Crimean Tatars were deported from their native land by Stalin. The deportation of the Crimean Tatars was ethnic cleansing and cultural genocide of at least 191,000 of Crimean Tatars, which was carried out by Soviet authorities from 18 to 20 May 1944, and was supervised by Lavrenti Beria, head of Soviet state security and secret police, and was ordered directly by the Soviet leader Joseph Stalin. To commemorate victims of the deportation of the Crimean Tatars, Ukrainian singer Jamala wrote a song 1944. With this song, Jamala won the Eurovision Song Contest in 2016. After the annexation of Crimea by Russia in 2014, part of the Crimean Tatars were forced to leave Crimea again. Not if, but when Ukraine regains the Crimean Peninsula, all rights of Crimean Tatars will be restored and they will be free to operate and share their culture. Now let's move to Word of the Week. Surzik. It's a concept that we are not proud of, but it exists and forms of an inherent part of our culture, despite having high likelihood of being eradicated as the Ukrainian language evolves. Essentially, Surzik refers to a mesh of Russian and Ukrainian that came into vogue during the Russification of the region in the late 18th century. According to a political article 2015, a quarter of the Ukrainian population speaks Surzik. The word Surzik originally means floor made from low-quality grain, says Larissa Masenko, a linguistics professor at the prestigious Kiev Mohila Academy University. Masenko, who has even written a book about the Surzik language, emphasizes that the language developed in the Ukrainian-speaking villages and small towns where speakers lacked a formal education. 
The vocabulary mix of each of its constituent languages, Ukrainian and Russian, varies greatly from locality to locality, or sometimes even from person to person, depending on the degree of education, personal experience, rural or urban residence, the geographical region of the interlocutors, etc. That's it for today. In the next episode, we will cover Ukrainian railways, Ukrzaliznitsa, as a miracle that kept Ukraine moving amid the air transport crisis. We will highlight its role in Ukrainian diplomacy as well as creative ways to keep working in the dangerous areas. Thank you for being with us today. See you next week. Actually, hear you next week. Glory to Ukraine. Glory to heroes.